you know, last Sunday we celebrated Easter Resurrection Sunday. And I just want to talk a little bit about the in-between time between Easter and Pentecost. And so, and, and get into Pentecost, but I'm, I'm planning on preaching a few messages at least called Countdown to Pentecost. And the reason is, is I just believe that God is bringing reformation to his people, just like he did that first Pente the first Pentecost after Jesus had died and resurrected. And so I just want to talk about some of the parallels of what God is doing, uh, what he did in that time. And as uh, outlined in Acts chapter one and the book of Acts as following, but also what is he doing in our day and what's he doing right now in the church? And so he's, you know, God, we, we, we pray for revival. We pray for awakening, but we really need a, a reformation in the church as well. Uh, there's many ways that the church, we look like the world. We've adopted the ways of the world in the name of being relevant. And I think a lot of those things started off with good intentions. And, but uh, we were never meant to look like the world. Um, we're meant, you know, the, the, the scriptures talk about us being aliens and sojourners on this earth that we're not of this world, but in this world. And, and Paul talked about being all things to all people. But it doesn't mean um, a compromise of any kind. And this means that you'll you'll go to people wherever they are. So it means, hey, if they're in a bar, we'll go to a bar. If they're at Burning Man, we'll go to Burning Man. If they're um, going to uh, the Muslim temple, then we'll wait outside in the parking lot for them or whatever the case may be. Being all things to, to all people. Um, the things that, you know, we have those missionaries, they think of the, uh, the native countries and maybe they adopt the way that the people dress, those types of things. That's, that's being all things to all people, but you don't compromise the gospel for the sake of people. The gospel, as Romans 1.16 says, is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And so you don't reveal the righteousness. Just God any other way other than the gospel that Jesus set forth. So, you know, we've been uh, having church in houses, and I remember, uh, you know, just like we're doing now, and I remember my friend Fernando Villalobos a couple of years ago, he said that the Holy Spirit told him that Holy Spirit was bringing the church back to the homes. And, you know, I don't know exactly what, Fernando, what that looked like to Fernando in his mind. But I think there's could be a lot of different ap applications for that. But obviously what's happening right now is a fulfillment of that word where we're, we're having church in our homes, but we're also bringing back that family worship. And in the back in the book of Acts, they they went to the temple like Peter, James and John said they went to the temple during the hour of prayer. And so they didn't stop doing that, but they were, but they were meeting in homes and they were doing the temple worship. And so it was this, it was this marriage of temple worship and, and, and house worship. And I think that's what God is really wanting to re reinstitute is in our homes, 
that our houses would actually be houses of prayer. And so we have to, just like there is an hour of prayer in the temple, we have to set aside times to make that happen. We have to carve out time and, and make it a priority. And that's really what God is wanting to do in the church at large. And um, is, is for him to be first in all things, it says in uh, one of the epistles, it's escaping me right now, but it says that Jesus Christ would have preeminence in all things. It means he comes first in all things. So I'm going to uh, just sh share a little bit about the, the backdrop of what happened on the, on the first Pentecost from Jesus's resurrection to the first Pentecost. And so there's basically three pilgrimage feasts that happen where people, all believing Jews would, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And so the first Passover, so people were coming over from all over uh, the known world at that time to making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so it was actually, I believe during the Passover where Jesus got lost as a little boy and uh, they, you know, his Mary and Joseph couldn't find him. They had journeyed a couple of days away outside of the temple or outside of Jerusalem, excuse me. And then they realized Jesus wasn't there. And uh, that's the opposite of helicopter parenting right there is that it takes you a couple of days to realize your child's missing. But uh, they go back to Jerusalem and they find him in his father's house. And so, but you have Passover, which was in the early spring. And each of these feasts, you gave the first fruits of your crops. And so Passover, the first fruits was the barley crop. And so they would offer the first fruits of their barley. The Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, was in late spring, which is in what we're in right now. And so this included the first fruits from the wheat harvest. And so they would take the the wheat offering and they would wave it in the air. Now, Jesus is the bread of life, right? And during Pentecost, what happened? It says he was taken up into the air. And so even this wave offering of the wheat, of the first fruits of the wheat was a foreshadowing of the bread of life being taken up. And then you have uh, Sukkot in the fall, which uh, Phil and Jesse Goodwin have done an amazing job with all of these teaching us as a body. And we've, we've done the Sukkot celebrations a few times, but uh, the Sukkot is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was in the fall, and this was the first fruits of olives and grapes. Okay. And so all of the, the Passover, these feasts are, are signs of what is um, like, so like Passover has happened. Jesus is the, the blood of the lamb of the spotless lamb. That's happened. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has happened. But Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, where God dwells with man again, is in the fall. And that's the one feast that Jesus hasn't fulfilled yet, but that he'll fulfill at his second coming. And so back to Pentecost. So Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene 
and then he ascended to the uh, to the Father in John chapter twenty verse seventeen. And so Jesus's ascension was a type of first fruits from the dead. And so in Revelation chapter one verse five, it talks about this that Jesus's ascension to the Father was a first fruits of resur of re resurrection from the dead. So I'm going to read that scripture. It says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So if you just need to worship the Lord, just use that right there. Lord, Lord, you're the firstborn from the dead and you are the ruler of the kings of the earth. You are the ruler of the kings of the earth. So when we see government, world leaders doing things that uh, maybe we don't agree with, then we say, Lord, you're the king of the rulers. Of, you're the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Say right now, say, Jesus, thank you for releasing me from my sins by your blood. Verse 6, he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so the disciples were told by Jesus, you need to wait until you're clothed with power from on high. And so after Jesus was resurrected for 50 days, he's making appearances. And he's he shows up to the disciples, or to Emmaus. He shows up in the room with the disciples where he, uh, looks like he's, he walks through a wall. They think he's a ghost, but he's like, I'm not a, does a spirit have scars in their hand? Does a spirit eat broiled fish? And so he's proving that he is a resurrected, uh, glorified body. And so there's, there's 3000, they, the, the, this 120 disciples are waiting in the upper room. They're praying tongues of fire come. They're filled with the Holy Spirit that begins speaking in other tongues. Like Jessica was talking about earlier, Peter goes out, preaches a fiery sermon, and 3,000 Jews from around the world believe. And so these 3,000 Jews are actually the first fruits of a spiritual harvest that God is, is taking. So here you have the Feast of Weeks, the Pentecost, the first fruits of your harvest and here's this, these 3000 people at Pentecost who represent the 3000 uh, the, the first fruits of a spiritual harvest that the holy spirit brought about and so in the new testament the word pentecost comes from the greek word for 50th and so the number 50 also symbolizes deliverance or freedom from a burden so we've talked about jubilee and every 50 years uh god commanded israel that on the day of atonement, that a jubilee was to be declared with the sound of a trumpet. That's in Leviticus 25. And so during the jubilee year, all debts were settled in favor of the debtor and inheritances were returned to their rightful owners. And then those who worked as slave laborers in order to repay a debt were granted their freedom to return home to their families and land. All debts are forgiven. Freedom is given. So that's what the number 50 represents. It represents freedom and a release from death. And so what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon 
the believers in Jerusalem, they were set free from the law of sin and death. They were set free from their sins. And how many of you have a testimony when you met the Holy Spirit that he freed you from something? He freed you from a sin. He freed you from an addiction, from a burden, from a, a heavy weight, from um, from heaviness, as Isaiah 61 talks about. And so according to the Jewish tradition, they believe that Moses received the law from God on Mount Sinai during Pentecost. Okay. And so Jewish tradition also suggests that King David was both born and died during Pentecost. And so Peter seemed to know this about this tradition because he's, he's making parallels between Jesus and King David. So he used the prophecies of David in the Psalms to speak of the resurrection of Jesus, who is one of Jesus's names is the son of David. So as the Israelites received the law during Pentecost, signifying the implementation of the old covenant, the Jews received the Holy Spirit during Pentecost, signifying the implementation of the new covenant. And so Ezekiel talks about this. It says in Ezekiel 36, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the people, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. And so I just, every time I read that, I'm like, God, you've, you've truly have done everything. Like you give us the ability to obey you. You, you say, for, you, you say, Hey, I need you. I want you to obey me. I want you to follow me because in me is the way of life. And also I'm going to give you my spirit so that you can even walk like I walk. It's impossible to follow God without God. And so he gives us his spirit. Ezekiel 37 says, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. Born being born again, and I'll place you on your own land. Then you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. And so when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's a re the re renewing and re or the regeneration of our spirit, man. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What happened to the disciples in Acts uh, chapter 1 and 2? What happened to the, these uh, 12 disciples in Acts chapter 19 who knew of John's baptism of repentance, but they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit? Well, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is like, uh, so imagine yourself, you're, you're an empty glass. You receive Christ. And he fills that glass up with his life-giving water. So it's, fill, it's filled with the water of life. What happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like taking that glass and putting it inside a pitcher of water. So now that water is not only inside of you, but it's also around you and on you. So that when you come into contact people with whether there's power and there's gifts released, just like the gift of tongues and other things that he's given to people. And so it's not that... There's some believers that have the Holy Spirit and some don't. All believers have the Holy Spirit. But the Lord says that there's more. And even in Luke, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your, your children, how much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of you? And Jesus told his disciples that. He said, I got to leave so that 
I can give you the promise of my Father. Romans chapter 8 says, For the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So law was given on Mount Sinai during Pentecost by Jewish tradition. Holy Spirit is giving to the believers during Pentecost. So we're now under the law of the spirit of life, which is found in Christ Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open to, chapter, uh, to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to just go through these first eight verses real quick, quickly. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So Luke, he wrote, and he's writing it to his friend Theophilus. And this is how he describes it. He said in verse one, he says, the first account I composed, which was the gospel of Luke, Theophilus, all, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Luke is saying, hey, that gospel I wrote, that was what Jesus began to do. And so now he's writing the book of Acts saying what Jesus is continuing to do. And so Luke is putting the emphasis of all the amazing things that happens in Acts is still the work of Jesus Christ in and through his believers. And so Jesus, again, having preeminence in all things, Jesus being the source of our ability to minister and reliance upon the Holy Spirit and his guidance. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given order to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, to those he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse four, gathering them together, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the father had promised, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is promising them a new kind of power and commanded them to stay in Jerusalem. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people and then lift off of them. And now the new covenant promises, Holy Spirit comes and he stays. Verse six, so when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel. So this is after Jesus has died and is resurrected and they're still wondering. They're like, okay, now are you going to overthrow the Roman government and become king over us again, just like King David was? Because King David, when he was king, he was a mighty military warrior and he won battles they hit. He basically subdued all the enemies around him to where Solomon lived without war. Solomon had peace all around him and prosperity, basically because of the path that David created 
but David was a man of war. And so they're like, all right, you're the son of David. You are a warrior. When are you going to make war on Rome and give us our land back? Even after he's been resurrected. And so they still don't completely get it until Jesus is leaving and ascending to the right hand of the father. And they, they're, they're, it says they're looking on in amazement and they devote themselves to prayer together, coming together daily for prayer for who knows how long they were praying every day until the Holy Spirit came. And so Jesus, he's teaching, he's always taught them about his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Now, the thing is, is that Jesus is coming back and he is coming as a warrior and he is a warrior. He is the son of David in that respect. But right now we're in a period of time. We're in a period of grace where, where God works through being, being last makes you first. Um, humbling yourself exalts you. And there's things that are upside down and, and contradictory to the ways of this world. But when Jesus appears, everyone in the world is going to see him for who he is. And the fear of the Lord will hit every single person. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's when Isaiah 42, 8 will come forth when it says the Lord is a warrior. He will utter a shout. He will raise a war cry and he will can triumph over all his enemies. In Revelation 19, where it says he comes with the armies of heaven following him. And he's... He's got a, a, a tattoo on his leg called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it's written on his robe. It says he will rule them with an iron scepter, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. So is, there is coming a day of judgment, and it's called the great and terrible day in Joel. It's a great day for those who know Jesus, and it's a terrible day for those that do not know Jesus. And so... This is the, they're, they're still asking him that question and, and they still don't have full understanding. Jesus responds to them. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is basically saying, you do not need to worry about that. So what do we need to, to focus on? What do we need to, to put our attention towards? Or need, or it says in Hebrews, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. All we have to do is, is know him. And he, he promises a, us a peace that passes understanding. And so I take that to mean that there's going to be times where you don't understand. There's going to be times where you don't know what's going on in the world, or maybe you don't know what's going on in your own life. But there, there's a peace available that passes that. That's It's greater than having understanding. And so many of us, you know, we don't like being misunderstood. We don't like not having understanding. And that's why people make stuff up about God is because that's the only way they can kind of get some sort of peace. If something doesn't make sense to them, then well, that must have been this. Or, you know, sometimes people say that God doesn't work miracles anymore because they don't they haven't seen God work supernaturally in their life. And so they're like, well, God must not do that today because it gives them a sense of peace that they're 
doing the right thing or they're believing the right thing as opposed to, hey, my, my life needs to line up with the word of God and I don't make the word of God line up with my life. And so Jesus, he's emphasizing the importance of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. And in verse eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Jesus is commanding them to stay in Jerusalem until they had received power. And then there will be witnesses first in Jerusalem, which I take this as like your home and your neighborhood. It all has to start. It has to start here. It has to start in our homes. It has to start in our neighborhoods. These are the easiest people for us to influence. These are the easiest people for us to show Jesus to as our family. And sometimes these are the most, what we think is uh, can be the, the hardest people because they know us. And I was telling uh, somebody the other day um, that one of the, the best things you can do um, when you're trying to win a friend who's, who doesn't maybe believe in the Lord is do the things that uh, a follower of Jesus would do. So when you mess up, because he, the question that he asked me is like, well, you know, we're, we're going to sin, like we're going to mess up, you know, so how can we you know, be perfect as the Lord is perfect? And, and that's a whole nother sermon. But I just told him, I said, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do is like, if you mess up, what does the father of Christ do? You own your mistakes and you ask for forgiveness and you make restitution and you show them, you earn that trust back. And, and so sometimes it's, it could be a long game. And I just gave him some examples of how I had done that in my life and the fruits that came of it. So being transparent, being honest, being authentic, not trying to act like you got everything together is actually can be a powerful witness to those that don't know Jesus Christ. So then it says Judea and Samaria, which means going into the regions around us and then into the remotest part of the earth going into all the world. And I just feel like in this season, what the Lord is, is telling us is that where we're, where we're going, where he's taking us as the church, we can't get there without the Holy Spirit. We can't get there in our own strength. We can't get there with like clever strategies. I mean, I'll tell you what the first century church strategy was, was to pray, to get together and to pray and to wait upon the Holy Spirit's yes and go and upon his infilling. And so this morning, what I want to do is that the, you know, the disciples that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts 19 talks about another instance of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as thunder rolls in my house, <laughs> that you just, you put your hands out and you receive it right now. I'm, I'm going to pray for us. If you, if you just, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you're a believer. Holy Spirit's already within you. Do you want a greater release of the gifts that he's, he's given you? You want a, a greater, Jessica, when she got baptized in the Holy Spirit, she was 19 down in Honduras. They were doing dental ministry for 
indigenous people up in the mountains of Honduras. And she would pray. She wasn't, you know, she was didn't know anything really about the gifts of the spirit. She was brand new and those types of things. But she would pray for it. They would have to remove rotten teeth out of these people and they didn't have any anesthetic and it was just pretty prim primitive surgery that they were doing she would pray while they were trying to remove teeth and those teeth were coming out like they're in hot butter they were just and she would pray she went around all day and they the moment she would lay hands on people the tooth just easily come out just like i said like pulling like it was in hot butter and so Holy Spirit is Jessica didn't even necessarily was praying for that, but the Holy Spirit, she had just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was not only in her, but it was, he was on her to where she laid hands and it changed situations and it changed the circumstances. So right now, if you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these hungry hearts that want more of you right now, Lord. And Lord, we know that we receive Holy Spirit when we believe in you, that we're, we've been regenerated and born again, that we're new creations. But Lord, you say that there is more. And so Lord, right now, Jesus, you are the baptizer. Jesus, lay your hands on these hungry hearts right now and baptize them in the Holy Spirit and with fire right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, do it. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for this promise. Just again to thank the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And this doesn't make you a, a, a greater Christian than anybody else because we're all in the same boat. This is just power and understanding and revelation that's released to you. So, Lord, I just pray right now, just give them more. Give them more and give them more. And I also just feel led to one of the things that, as Jessica was talking about, it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the gift of tongues. When you pray, you're praying in perfect alignment with the, with the Father's will, just like the scriptures talk about. You're interceding and there's times where we don't know how to pray. I'm not a very verbal person internally. So praying in tongues has been one of the best things God has ever done for me. And so right now, I just want you to invite you. I'm, we're going to pray together for 30 seconds in tongues. And I just want you to believe it. We're going to believe that God's going to release some of you. If, if this has never been fully released in your life, for you to be able to pray in tongues because God's good. And I'm just obeying the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray in 30 seconds and, and ask God and just, just do it in faith and the Holy Spirit will fill your mouth. All right. So three, two, one. Shidre da bokondra da basire da bakire na manara da basudre de boshoto. Harade bikire da matsundre da bokire da bakire na makondre da papapapakoto. Harade mandare de mihire de basundre bokondre de shidre de bikisi tekata. Harade mandare da bokondre da bofobokondre de boshire da bakire da sitekita. Mondre na mandare da bahare da sidre da bokondre da shudre de bikita. Harade bakana 
et te chonnerons à mon con, chérie, de ta carte. Amen.